Our text is small. <laughs> it's the smallest chapter in the Bible. Only two verses. Uh, it's 16 or 17 words, depending on uh, you know, which manuscript in the original language. So 16 or 17 words. And so it, it seemingly insignificant, easily passed over. It's, it's one tiny psalm in the midst of 149 others. You know, Psalm 119, you... <laughs> wow, okay. So, and unlike many other psalms, this one, the author's unknown. We, we don't know. And we don't know when it was commonly sung, which a lot of the psalms, we do know when they were sung. Uh, some suggested they were sung as a doxology, as a, as a closing to a service, but, but we just don't know. Seemingly insignificant, perhaps. But we're given a reminder in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be up there for you. Uh, verses 16 and 17 about Scripture. And I, I know that you know this. You're familiar with this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so, all Scripture, including the portion that we're going to look at this morning, is God-breathed. Although it penned by human hands... It has its origin and its source from the very heart of God. As some have said, to, to read Scripture is to read God's thoughts after Him. And so as, as Paul wrote that to Timothy, we're reminded that, that Scripture is it's profitable. Even these, these small portions are, are very profitable for us. For our instruction, for our growth. As believers. And Scripture is powerful. And sometimes we, we can forget that well, God's Word, it has power. It really does. To be able to work supernaturally in our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. God. Yeah. You know, another, another psalm of Scripture, uh, says of Scripture in Psalm 19 verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. God's word, his, his scripture has, has the ability to revive the soul. To make wise the simple. Supernaturally doing so. That's supernatural power. The ability to do that. And so the psalm that we're looking at, it, it's small. But as Scripture, it possesses supernatural power. And it has the ability to minister into the very depths of our being. And it has application for us. I wanted to note as well that the, the placement of this psalm is noteworthy. Because although it's, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible, it happens to be placed in the very middle of the chapters of the Bible, as are considered by, by chapters, 
in our English Bibles. It's, in a sense, it's the central chapter out of all the chapters from beginning to end. Right there, right in the middle. So that's my introduction. Okay. Let's see what the text says. Um, I'm going to read it to you in a, in a couple different versions. They're, they're both applicable. I, I couldn't remember which one you guys use uh, normally. But anyway, the New King James, it reads, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's it. That's the whole song. <laughs> the English Standard Version. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Short, but there's a lot in there. So, it begins, and I'm going to probably stay a little bit more on the side of the ESV, but they're both great translations. It says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, all peoples. And that word nations or, or Gentiles in the, in the New King James, it's a, it's a broad term. Speaking of all non-Hebrews, all non-Jews, wherever, whoever they may be. But then there's this other word that's used, all you peoples. And that word, it's a bit more specific. It's speaking of, of smaller groups of people along ethnic or language lines. So first we have this broad, all people. But then groups of people. And so here, it, there's this call for all people, every nation, every people, the smaller groups, linguistic groups, all of them upon the earth are called upon to worship the Lord, to worship Yahweh. And it's interesting that the, the words that are used here, the individual words that are used here, they they tie into this call of, of all people, wherever they may be, that they would worship the Lord. Because the, the word praise, that's a, that's a Hebrew word. And it means to honor, to worship, to, to boast in. But then, interestingly, there's that, in the New King James, the laud or the extol, and that word is an Aramaic word. It's not a Hebrew word. And that was more often used in other languages. Syriac, Arabic, those kind of languages. And it means to praise and to, to lift up. And so here we have this, this proclamation that, that's being given. It's a call, a proclaiming out both in Hebrew and in Aramaic to all people, non-Hebrews, peoples of all different cultures and languages, to praise and honor and worship and lift up the Lord Yahweh. A proclamation that was to be made to all people to do this. 
Now, if we think about what would this look like if this was, if this was followed out as it was written? Well, it would have looked like the, the Hebrews, the God's covenant people, them proclaiming and calling out an invitation. It's a command, really, for all people to come, to come and, and worship Yahweh, to worship Him. And of course, God's intent was that the covenant people would have a heart that they really wanted those people to come and worship. And if the people heard what they said, that those people would come, that they would come, and that they would worship Yahweh, they would come and know who God really is, the one true God. So this is a, it's a calling out, it's a proclamation. The covenant people were to be declaring this. Much like in, in the old days, you know, that there used to be the, the town crier. They would go around the city and... At different hours, let everybody know. All is well. <laughs> or the Scots are coming. One or the other. Okay, they'd let you know. <laughs> let you know. And if the Scots are coming, you'd be worried. Okay. <clears throat> but a proclaiming out. Letting people know that something's happening or not happening. But in this case, that there's this call to come and worship God. And so here with this, this very small portion of scripture that's been, it's been placed right in the center of our Bibles, can see that it, it contains really the, the, the central message of the entirety of scripture. That God has a heart for all peoples, all nations, everywhere to know him. And to worship Him. Because He knows that to know Him is the best thing for everybody. Amen. That's the best place to be. Because we were created to know Him and to worship Him. You know, there, there's no coincidences with God. He knew from eternity past which chapter would be placed right in the middle of our Bibles. He knew that. And he made sure that even though this chapter just got a few words, a couple sentences, he made sure that right there, that there would be this, this message that conveys his heart towards all people. A heart that desires all people to know him. Now, unfortunately, the Hebrews... The Jewish people, especially during Jesus' day, they did not retain this or understand it, that God's heart was for all people. They came to despise those outside of their ranks, with some of the rabbis even teaching that, that, that non-Jews, that they were merely created, that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. That's the only thing that they were, that they were worth. So they, they lost God's heart on this. And although there are, you know, there are Christians today that, that they believe that God's heart for all peoples began in Acts. Well, 
We can see here in the Old Testament, this is just one of many, many, many places where God's heart has always been, always has been for all people that they would know Him and be able to worship Him for who He is. Now, this, these, uh, this proclamation here, it's, it's also it's prophetic in the sense that, that this, this command to praise, it was, it was applicable in Old Testament times as it was to be declared to the nations by Israel, which Israel was, was meant to be a light to the nations, drawing people to the one true God. But it's also prophetic in the sense that, that it, it was pointing to a greater clarity that would come in New Testament times of God's heart for all peoples. Because Paul, he quotes this in Romans chapter 15. And he uses this to show that it's always been God's plan that people would have opportunity to come regardless of their culture or their language or their citizenship, that they'd be able to come together in knowing Him and worshiping Him. God's heart. Okay, we have this Old, Old Testament command to let the nations know, to proclaim, let them come and worship God. Well, we're, we're a long ways away from the Old Testament, historically. We're on the other side of the cross now. Resurrection. Here we are. The church age. Yeah. And we have great clarity on God's heart for the lost among all nations. Great clarity. Now they, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to let the nations know, to proclaim, to invite them to come and worship. And if we think about, okay, all right, we're in a New Testament church age context now. What would it look like for us to to proclaim to the nations, to invite the nations to know and worship the one true God? And, and is there any New Testament scripture that fits the idea or parallels this? A command to proclaim to all peoples of all nations to come and worship the Lord. Is there? I'm sure you guys are very familiar with this. I'm sure you've heard it before. That there's, there's a New Testament command to invite people to come and know the Lord. It's called the Great Commission, isn't it? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. It's very important who's speaking. It's Jesus. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Now, the, the emphasis in, in the original language there is to make disciples. To make disciples. To make followers, learners of Jesus. That they would know Him and walk with Him. If we think about, well, how are they made? How are they made? Well, first they have to be invited. They have to be invited. How are they invited? We share the gospel with them. We share with them that God became man. And that man lived a perfect and sinless life. Recognizing that we don't, that we're sinners. And that that man, Jesus, that He went to the cross and gave His life for ours. And He wasn't merely a man. God. The God-man. And there on the cross, making the payment for our sin. And then rising again on the third day. Proving that He had the power to conquer our sin, conquer death. And also proving that His invite to have eternal life is true and valid in Him. He has the power to do that. So people are invited as we share the Gospel with them. As we proclaim that so they can come to know and follow and and worship the Lord. The Gospel going out to, to all people, all nations, so they can Respond. So they can respond and they can become disciples of Jesus. Now, I said I kind of have to entertain my students sometimes. Anyway, you're going to see a sandwich on the screen. There it is. Now, the Great Commission there, the Great Commission... It's a promise-command sandwich. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a promise, two promises. They're they're the bread that surround the meat there. The first promise is this, is that Jesus, who has all authority in every realm, everywhere, in that authority, He tells us to go and to make disciples. Now, He has all authority. Is there any authority greater than Him? Any government, or politician, or anything? No. Physical or spiritual? Nothing that's greater than Him. And in that authority that He possesses, He has... That's a promise. That with that authority, He is sending us to declare the Gospel. So there's that that promise. That under God's authority, He who has all authority, that He's commissioned us to go and invite all peoples to Him. And if anyone else says that we don't have that authority, it's not valid in their country or whatever it is, Sorry, I serve a greater authority. God. (laughs) And then there's the command in the, the middle of the sandwich there. To go. 
to go and make. And that going, we could look at that as, as, as you are going. As you are going. Now, some of your going is going to be confined to where you live, your home country. But you're still going. You're walking with God. And as you're walking with God here in Norwich or Norfolk, that you would be sharing the gospel with others, inviting them to come, seeking to make disciples. Now, others of you, your going is going to be different. It's going to be cross-cultural. God may send you to another country. That may be your going. To cross those boundaries. To once again invite people to come. To come and know Jesus. That going is going to be specific to whatever God has called you to. Your going is not mine and mine's not yours. But we're all to be going. We're all to be going and seeking to share the gospel and make disciples in the midst. Wherever we're taken, proclaiming him, that people would come. To be active in God's plan of reaching all peoples everywhere with the gospel. And then we have the the next promise, the other slice of bread there. Where Jesus, he says, he says, I... I am with you. And it's as if he's saying, nobody less than me, God, is with you. I'm with you forever. That is true. But don't lose the fact that I'm also with you in the day to day. Every day. I am with you. He says, I'm with you. I'm He's promising that he is with you, that no matter where you go, wherever you are, that you're never alone, that he is with you and he has the ability and he has the desire to equip you to fulfill the command that he's called you to and me to, to share with others. Even if it's immensely difficult, he is with us. He is with us to do this. And so... The Great Commission parallels what we've been looking at in in Psalm 117. This call to all nations, all peoples to come. And then there's another another parallel um, that we can can look at also in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 should be up there for you. Another vantage point. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That in Jesus, we're now all ambassadors. No matter where we live or where we work or where we go to school, whatever we're doing, that we're called to be ambassadors of this proclamation. Ambassadors of Jesus. Sharing Him with other people. That we've been commissioned to be God's representatives in the midst of a, a sea of people that don't know Him. That we would reach out. That we would proclaim the invitation 
to know and worship God. And so, we're in a similar spot to, to Israel's position as the, they're, they're, you know, the covenant people. They were to be a light to the world. They were to show people what it was like having a relationship with the real, one true God, to know Him. Yeah. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. And Jesus, he, he said to us, to the church, that we are also a light. A light to the world. You're familiar with this as well, I'm sure. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Here in the UK, there's a lot of Christians that don't want to do that. Being blunt and honest. I've been here for 19 years. Come on. And they want to hide. They want to walk around with a basket. <laughs> and not be seen. It's not the call. I know what it's like. I feel the pressure too to just be under the basket. But the call is to be a light to let it shine. To let it shine to be an ambassador of Jesus. Sharing the only message that can set people free from their sin and bring them into a personal relationship with God and save them from an eternity that we don't even want to think about. Come on. You see, Israel had their time and they failed. Now is our time. Our time is now to be the light of the world, to be shining within this world's darkness is getting darker every day and proclaiming how people can come and know Jesus. And what Paul, in what he writes there in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we can see what kind of heart, what kind of attitude we are to have in making this proclamation to people. There, there's an appeal there. That word appeal, it means to earnestly plead. And an imploring, a crying out and a begging. And we see from that God's heart that God, God does not need to be reconciled to us. We're the ones that need to be reconciled to Him. He did not commit the offense. We did. And yet He's the one, He's the one that is earnestly pleading, imploring, He's crying out, He's begging, and He wants to use us as His ambassadors To do the same. We see his compassion. The compassion of God. His heart towards people. That he, do, he doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to know him. So he pleads. He cries out. And he desires to do that through us. Through you. you know. And we are feeble. And we are weak. I know. And we mess up. 
Sometimes we walk away with sharing with someone and we're like, what in the world did I just say? Mm-hmm. Come on. But at least we said something. <laughs> and God can use the weakest, most feeble attempts. Come on. He can do it. So his desire is that our hearts would be like his heart. That as ambassadors, that we would represent him. Right. Hopefully you can see the parallels with the New Testament and the Old Testament here coming together with Psalm 117. Mm-hmm. Where there, there's this proclamation to all nations to worship God. And we are to be proclaiming as well. In verse 2, alright, we made it verse 2. Alright, okay. In verse 2, there is, is, is given to us valid, or I threw in a lot of P's, whatever, to try to help, if you, that helps you. Um, pertinent reasons why people should worship Yahweh. Let's read verse 2. In the ESV, it says, For great is his steadfast love toward his people, toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The New King James, For his merciful kindness is great toward us, And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So the people of Old Testament times, they were called to worship the Lord because of the evidence of His steadfast love, His merciful kindness, His faithfulness, and His enduring nature of His truth. Especially as they saw all of that being played out in His relationship with covenant Israel. On this side of the New Testament, as we proclaim God's invitation to know Him and to worship Him, as we proclaim the Gospel, we too can point people to God's goodness. The goodness of His character as a reason to come to Him. To know Him. To worship Him. Because we have far greater evidence of God's steadfast love towards us In the coming of Jesus. God becoming human. To identify with us. To give his sinless life upon the cross as payment for our sin. So that we could be forgiven, cleansed, reconciled. And know God personally, intimately, now and forever. And ever and ever. Amen. Come on. Yeah. Steadfast love. And of course, we, we, we know God's steadfast love most tangibly in the scriptures and in history in the coming of Jesus, as I said. And for sure, you know this scripture John 3 16. For God so loved the world. Me and you in there. For God so loved us that He gave. Gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave because He loves. Because He loves people of all nations everywhere. Romans 5.8 
But God demonstrates, and this is in, in the, it's still demonstrating, His own love toward us, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love clearly shown. Jesus came and He died. For our sins, yours and mine. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live. Live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the propitiation. The turning away of a person's anger by giving a gift. In our sin, outside of Christ, we were under God's anger. His wrath. Because He hates sin. In knowing that, in His compassion, in His steadfast love for us, He sent the only way for us to get out from under that wrath. He sent the propitiation, the propitiation. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> sent Jesus as the gift to take care of that wrath. So that we could be cleansed and set free, made right with God. God's merciful kindness, it's, it's clearly, His steadfast love is clearly shown to us in what Jesus has done for us. So clear. And it, His steadfast love is shown to us in what, he, he's, what we personally received in our own lives because of what Jesus did. There in, in Titus 3.5, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. God's steadfast love towards you and towards me. It's because He's loving, He's gracious, He's merciful. And He extended that to us so that we could be forgiven and know Him. His steadfast love towards us. And then, the psalmist writes, another reason why come worship God because of His enduring truth. His enduring truth. His Word is truth. And it endures. It's everlasting. God declared through the prophet Isaiah, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God said that through the prophet Isaiah in the midst of chapters that are detailed with prophecies that were not yet 
fulfilled, which now we can look back and go, finished. Just like he said they would be. Well, there's still many more to come. Amen. <laughs> but they will be finished just as surely as the ones that already have. Because his truth endures forever. And we can also see God's enduring truth in the coming of Jesus fulfilling the many prophecies that the Messiah would come. And we don't have time to look at those. There's hundreds. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul writing, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Just like God foretold that He would. And that He was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Just like he said, he prophesied that he would. The scriptures foretold that the Savior would come. That he would die for our sins. That he would rise from the dead. And he did so. Clearly displaying. God's word endures. It is true. And so we look at that and we can proclaim His Word with great assurance, great certainty, knowing His Word is truth. It endures. Enduring truth. And so, a little psalm, I know we traveled pretty far away from it, but may we be inspired by our little psalm that proclaims a great truth. God's heart for all people everywhere. All of them. That He desires people from all nations, tribes, kindreds to know Him. To know Him. And on this side of the cross, we have much that we can point people to in regards to God's sincerity. That He sent His Son in order to open the way that we can know Him. We can point people to God's enduring truth. His steadfast love. But He is reliable. And what He says is going to pass will come to pass. And as I close, let's not forget too that this is a psalm. <laughs> that it's a psalm. It's a song of praise. It says, praise the Lord. For what? Oh my goodness, for what? For giving us life? For giving us Jesus? For revealing Himself to us? The fact that we're able to be here right now? Living and breathing? That we would praise Him. That He is the Lord. And that as we're praising Him, in living our lives for Him, that those around us would, would see. These people know God. <laughs> they know Him. And they worship Him. Last portion of Scripture here, Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 21. Close with this. Therefore, 
Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I wanted to close with that because here we have this New Testament command of praise, that we would praise the Lord, that we would encourage one another in the Lord and in His faithfulness and His steadfast love, in the testimony of what He's done in and through our lives and His doing. Amen? Let's pray for you and myself. Lord, thank you so much for your heart. That you are a God of love. That you care. And that you desire people to know you. And that you've gone to great lengths. So that they can. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives in revealing Jesus to us and what He did for us. Thank You for Your love towards us and Your enduring truth. And Lord, I just want to pray for myself and my brothers and sisters that, Lord, that You would would empower us and that You would encourage us to be Your ambassadors. Your ambassadors that are proclaiming the message of salvation. Pointing others to Jesus. Lord, that you would equip us to do that. Give us, give us boldness. And give us your heart for people. A heart that really, really cares and loves. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, has not responded to you, that they would open your heart to you. Realizing what you have done for them. Seeing your steadfast love and your enduring truth. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.